This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, tech girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by Audible. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, August 6, 2020, and my guest is Anshul Sag of More Strategy. Hi, Anshul. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Pretty good, considering it's been a crazy, hectic week of doom. <laughs> hmm For sure. I mean, there's so much to cover this week. We're obviously here to talk about Samsung, which is the elephant in the room, as it were. But I want to talk about the Pixel 4a as well, which we got on Monday, and then some other little things like Sony's new headphones. So yeah, what's your general take on this week? What are the things that stand out for you? Um, I, I think there's a lot of, I mean, it's a big week for phones, right? There's no doubt about that. Um, I think it's interesting to see the direction that Samsung took with the Note and the direction Google took with the Pixel 4a, because they're very different directions. Um, I think if you look at the Pixel 4a, it is kind of Google realizing that what made them successful in phones was not building flagship phones, right. um, and that building a really well-intentioned, purposeful, mainstream device is actually what really people want from them. Um, and I think that um, while the Pixel 4 and the Pixel 3 and the Pixel 2 have been good phones, they haven't been great. Um, and it's very difficult to build a top-tier flagship phone to compete with the rest of the market. Um, and I, I just feel like Google has had much more success in the past building a, a device that maybe leverages their software more aggressively and less tries to win the spec war. Yeah, I mean, I've been saying for years now that they don't know how to make a flagship and that their strategy is broken. The Pixel 4 was a major disappointment for me. I think the 3 was still all right. The 3A, of course, was was a slam dunk. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about the 4A in the context of these other phones, because I think it's really important to me. You know, I'm writing this review right now for Hot Hardware. It'll be published this weekend. And my kind of intro was about the strategy issue, right? It's like... It seems like Google is behaving like on an island, kind of la la, we're doing our own thing in mm-hmm. their own little bubble about phones for a while now. But the 3A or the A series and now the 4A are kind of like the breath of fresh air of reality that comes into Google's land somehow. And and I'm saying that because for me, you know, look, until the Pixel 2, I think the Pixel 2 series was still okay. It was a bit, the transition with HTC engineering acquisition, you could tell one phone was an LG phone, the other one was an HTC phone. You right. still had that weird kind of duality there with all the issues related to that, right? The display mm-hmm. issues on the Pixel 2 XL were, were related to that V30 sharing of displays. But still, I think it was a solid, it fit the box of what a flagship should be back in its zeitgeist, right? But the three started dropping, right? The three was like, oh, we're missing we're missing on dual cameras in the back. At the time, that was a thing. And, you know, I can understand with the two that they didn't go there, but with the three, it was a bit weird. Mm-hmm. They finally did with the four, but then made the tragic, I think, mistake of not giving us a, an ultra wide. Like, right. while I'm excited about how they implemented the telephoto on the four, I feel that. that and it was great. 
Because I think now that I have the 4A and I zoom in up to 5X and I get pictures that are absolutely incredibly good, better than any like 48, 64, 108 megapixel sensor that zooms in, right? Like for Mm -hmm. those flagships that don't have a dedicated telephoto. And I'm like, yeah, like, why did you even bother putting a telephoto on the Pixel 4? What you needed is an ultrawide. And what I missed the most on the 4A after using like OnePlus Nord and other phones in that price range, Chinese phones primarily, is even a a so-so lackluster 8 megapixel sensor would have been welcome, especially with Google's processing, right? So now the 4A is at a price point where maybe we didn't want or need that. But the 4, I couldn't figure out what they were thinking. And then, you know, the whole Soli, the big forehead, very cosmetically challenging. And the the battery life. Oh, the battery life on the 4 particularly, but I'm talking about the 4XL is a little better there. But ultimately, the 3 and the 4 didn't fit what I feel a flagship should be. Like the materials, the build quality was there, the specs Mm -hmm. in terms of the chips were there, and the software, of course, is googly awesome. But it didn't have the checkboxes checked in the way we expected. And so when the 3A came out last year, it was like, ah, look, if Google just makes a phone that's mid-range, there's a software really brings it up, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, before we jump into the 4A and the differences between the 3A, because I think it's really best to review the 4A with context to the 3A, what was your thought of the 3A at the time it came out? I thought the 3A was something that Google should have done a long time ago. Um, Mm -hmm. I felt like there was a lot of pent-up demand for it in the market because there's been this expectation for quite some time that um, Google knows how to build a quality mainstream phone. And they had done it before with the Nexus 4. um, And they had, you know track record and they kind of abandoned it and nobody really understood why they had abandoned it when they you know started to pursue flagships and i think the last phone that they had that was kind of in that breadth was the nexus 5 oh Um, my god absolutely and and the 4a really reminds me of the nexus 5 in so many ways especially in terms of design fit and finish my my only issue with the nexus 5 was that it still relied on lg and I had issues with my Nexus 5, um, and I believe that they were manufacturing issues. Um, I've never had a modem on a smartphone die on me before, but it happened on the Nexus 5 where my modem was just shot, Um, and I've been using smartphones since 2006, so... And it's a Qualcomm chip, right? I mean, like... Yeah, it just never happened before, never happened since. So it was a very weird experience, Um, and Google's warranty... Um, situation wasn't great either. It's um, still not great. That's so, a sad thing. Yeah, so I was really turned off by by Google for quite some time after the Nexus Five because I was I was like a you know a staunch supporter of the Pixel line for quite some time, um, and then I just started going elsewhere after that. But um, the reality is is that I think they have been most successful when they when they are able to maximize value. And I think people appreciate that as a role for Google because, you know, most of the other smartphone manufacturers have experience and are ones to like the type of building of flagships and, you know, what comes with that. Um, I think 
Google was trying to replicate what Microsoft had done with Surface mm-hmm. in that they were trying to create a flagship product that, you know, led the market with search and features and tried to get the market to adopt those features as standard. Um, and I think they did that with some mixed success. Um, but ultimately, you know, if you want to be able to sell a flagship phone, it has to actually sell and be profitable. Um, and I think that they also made some decisions early on, like especially with the three, where I didn't understand why, or even the two, where they could have partnered with more carriers and going Verizon exclusive was kind of problematic. I mean, it's um, always been problematic. Can you think of any phone that has been a Verizon exclusive that didn't that didn't fail? Um, Other than Apple and Samsung stuff. I mean, Apple's never been exclusive, but and Samsung hasn't been exclusive in a long time. But it's it's true. Like there's you know niche phones find their way on Verizon, um, and maybe Verizon wants to be the home of niche phones. But the reality is, is that I think you know Motorola and Google have both tagged on the Verizon train and maybe it's because the other carriers you know weren't interested that could also be it we don't really fully know but it just the exclusivity to me sounds like um you know to me it was a bad idea cuz I, I just don't like the idea of an exclusive device cuz no matter what you do you're going to lose a good customers idea. like we all hate exclusives i mean yeah, you know absolutely and and yeah. i just you know i'm trying not to look at it purely through a um, you know, a phone reviewer perspective, because sometimes, you know, yeah, of course. We, we have that, you know, um, mind frame, but I just wish that they hadn't stuck with Verizon for as long as they had, because I think it would have given them a lot more upside potential when they actually were more competitive than they are now. Right. Let's pull it back to the foray because we do have a lot to cover today. I want to talk about the phone and the experience a little bit, share that with my uh, with my listeners. For me, the reason I brought up the three and asked you about it was because I wanted to know if you felt the same as me, which is for me, when I use the three, I was like, wow, this is so good at the mid range, so close to the three series that the three series has no reason to exist other than maybe wireless charging and water resistance and a metal and glass construction right mm-hmm. um and so the 4a is the same thing but amplified even further that difference the divide is even greater so much so that this is a news item that we don't have on our list but something that happened today uh last night actually the verge reported it um they stopped selling the four and the 4xl on the google store last hmm. night I did not so catch that. So nine months in, the, the other phones, the two series and three series flagships Oof. lasted uh, 18 months. This is no, only nine months right now. Now, it's still available in some markets because there's still stock left over, but right. it's you know out of stock on their store. And a Google rep confirmed that indeed there is no, uh, there's no more 4. And so that tells me a lot because here's the thing. Here's wow. the thing you need to know about the 4A, right? The 4A is the Pixel 3a really did still feel like a mid-range phone because it had those bezel top and bottom. In fact, that's been a problem with every Pixel phone since Pixel 1, that right. it was be- they were bezel-tastic compared to their, comp- their competition at the time. And the 4 was 
particularly egregious in that way with that forehead. And, you know, I understand the whole Soli and Face ID thing, although the Face ID was a disaster because still uh, so many apps don't support the new biometric API that you can't really use a Pixel 4 as a daily driver if you're a reasonable Android person because you have too many apps that don't work uh, with that you can't authenticate unless you type password, which doesn't make sense. So, so that was a big deal. That's why for me, for the first time, I didn't go to Pixel flagship this past year. I went to OnePlus 8 Pro as my daily driver because I need a fingerprint sensor. I'm sorry. Um, unless you can do what Apple did, which is seamlessly transition, right, to APIs that work. I also did the exact same thing. The OnePlus 8 Pro is currently my daily driver. There you go. So what I'm trying to say is that if you look at the 4A, right, the 4A is the first Pixel that cosmetically looks modern. It has a full screen display, very little bezel all around, looks a lot like an iPhone 11 in terms of bezel. They're not the thinnest bezels, but they're pretty uniform. And then you have a hole punch in the top left corner with the standard eight megapixel, F over 2.0, 1.12 micron pixel, a sensor we've seen on every pixel that didn't have the also the ultra wide in the front. And so there you go. And then in the back, it's polycarbonate you know it's it's uh you know basically unibody and one thing i've noticed Anshal, and you probably don't see this because you don't have one in your hand is if you have a 3a compare them side by side because you'll notice that the fit and finish is better on the 3a hmm. like i think it's just a minor thing if you didn't put them side by side you wouldn't notice like if you Pick up the 4A, it has that soft touch black finish. It's only available in small and in black, right? So mm -hmm. um, it, it, you touch it and you're like, this is nice. This is a good, this is very much like a Nokia unibody polycarbonate, well-made, unapologetically plastic, you know. We're not trying to imitate glass like <clears throat> we're going to talk about that soon with Samsung, <laughs> right? Um, we're not trying to imitate metal like <clears throat> OnePlus Nord with the mid-frame made of plastic that looks like metal. This is just pure plastic. But if you put it side by side with 3A, the 3A is more precisely machined or, or molded. I'm not sure what process they're using for the plastic. And you can see a little more build quality it feels like to me so you know this is minor stuff i don't like black phones that much anyway so you know <laughs> i miss the purple <laughs> from the 3a but here's the thing right 50 dollars less you get six gigs of ram instead of four you get 120 gigs of storage base instead of 64 this is compared to the 3a but this is also compared to the 3 or 3xl if you're coming from a 3 or 3xl absolutely buy a 4a because it's a very similar experience you lose water resistance and you lose wireless charging but you still have that rear fingerprint sensor you still have a headphone jack which is gone on the three so you know all that good stuff from the 3a stays so six gigs of ram 128 gigs of storage and here's the crazy thing you know the display is bigger than the 3a in a smaller chassis because yeah. it's full screen so you get it's a bit taller aspect ratio. You get a little more vertical pixels. And um, yeah, if you compare to the 3A, it's a little shorter, like about five millimeters. And if you compare to an SE, iPhone SE 2020, it's about five millimeters taller. But the width of all three of these phones, 3A, 4A, and SE is identical. And the mm -hmm. thickness very close. So it's a very small phone with maximizing display. And for those people looking for a small Android phone, this is it. Like, this is the phone. There's nothing out there that's this good, that's this small. Absolutely. But if you want bigger, you can wait for the Pixel 4a 5G. Um, but here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. That's $50 less than last year's 3a. I mean, I mic know. drop, right? You're done at this point. What's also funny is, like, 
at that price point, you know, it's something that like a lot of people haven't talked about and it really we shouldn't talk too much about it, but like no one should be shipping a phone with less than 128 standard now. And an Android phone with less than six gigs, in my opinion. Yeah, agreed. 100%. If you're in the 700, 600 series processor, like if you're not shipping a Snapdragon 400, you know, maybe you can get away with four gigs of RAM, but uh, I don't think you want to sh- buy a phone with less than a six, 670, 675 in terms of chip and less than six gigs of RAM, in my opinion. Agreed. So this is a big improvement over last year's 3As, which is a 670. And in fact, my benchmarks, which I just ran for hot hardware, confirm that in the PC Work 10 benchmark, which is a synthetic mm-hmm. daily use kind of benchmark, which is what we care about, right? We don't really care so much about graphics performance here because it's never going to meet what we expect as gamers, right? This is not a G chip, this is a 730. So in, in the benchmark that I just ran, PC Mark, it is the same performance almost to the T as the 3XL. Hmm. So that should give you a good base level. And the 3XL will dump uh, apps out of memory because it only has four gigs. So right. keep that in mind. It's a quick, it's a fast processor on the 3XL, but it's not good enough RAM for sure, which is part of the yeah. problem. So the RAM is solved. And so I'm not having the bumping out of RAM problems. And I'm having about the same. And, and you know, it feels smooth and silky and quick. And it's not a 90 hertz display or anything. It's 60 hertz, right? Mm-hmm. But it still feels really nice, really smooth, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think, um, the the four A is just a really refined version of what the three A, um, correct, could have been. I mean, kind of was, but maybe didn't fully achieve. I think that's kind of yeah how I see it. In retrospect, the three A looks like it was too pricey for what it was. It should have been three seven three fifty or three twenty five, especially with sixty four gigs and four gigs of RAM back then, and it still had some of that legacy of the awkward Googleness, you know, of the flagships. But mm-hmm. but it wasn't as much of a problem because it was mid ranger and it was priced more aggressively. Uh, but this is this is nailing it. I think the, I, I don't want to say that Google's going to sell it ton of these because it's Google and it's a pixel, but I kind of want to, I kind of want this to become in those markets that's available. There's North America and a whole bunch of European markets that this becomes a thing. I want this phone to succeed for Google. Well, unfortunately, um, for it to really succeed, they have to want to market it. Um, and Google doesn't seem to be very good at marketing any of their phones. No, they never have been. And I think they're a little stuck right now because they have the 4A 5G coming and they've announced the 5. They've had to drop the announcement of all of these other upcoming phones. And we know some things about the 4A 5G. But yeah, I feel like ugh, it's it's a challenge for them. Yeah, and I think the reality is, you know, they're not going to be competitive in places like India or China because of what's in those markets already from the Chinese vendors. Oh, yeah, there's no way they can compete there. And no. I don't think they're selling there, are they? No, I don't think so. But that's just, um, it's also why they won't sell there. Obviously, they're not selling in China for other reasons. Um, but they could sell in India, but then they would have to manufacture there. And even then, I'm not sure they would really be competitive. Um, but in Europe and the US, I think because the average sale price for a phone is much higher, this is a mm-hmm. much more attractive device. Um, and Google is a well-respected brand. Um, I just don't think they're doing a very good job of leveraging that brand recognition to cell phones. No. I mean, Google's not good at marketing 
their hardware, in my opinion. Like I feel like the Google Assistant technology is better than anything else. And yet, you know, they make all these speakers and accessories, you know, the Google Home stuff. And I love it. I use it all the time. But, you know, people just seem to think, you know, Amazon when they think of this stuff, even though it's an inferior experience, in my opinion. Yeah. And it's I, not for home control because I think there's more in the ecosystem for, for um, I'm not going to say the keyword, but for the Amazon ecosystem, mm-hmm. uh, for the Echo ecosystem. But I feel like um, Google is just nailing the experience so much more seamlessly. So it's the same with software. Like the Pixel 4a has everything, has call screen, it has now playing, it's all these features that we take for granted on a Pixel are here at $350. And can do I, did I, I haven't even mentioned the camera. 12 megapixel f of a 1.7, 1.4 micron rear camera. It's exactly the same as on the Pixel 4 main camera and the Pixel 3 rear camera. This is a complete legacy system that works. And man, does it deliver, Anshel. That phone just, it's, you can't tell it apart from a Pixel 4. Other than the Tele, of course, there's no Tele. But if you're used to a 3, a 3XL, this is exactly the same camera. Even the 3A, but the 3A is a little slower because of the processing. This process is faster. Not as fast as the Snapdragon 855 on the 4 series, but... It doesn't also have that pixel chip, right? That what is called the whatever the custom chip, right? Right, right. So, the AI accelerated image processing chip. Yeah, Pixel Core, I believe it's called. But anyway, yes. I cannot say more good things about this. It's it's fantastic. If you can live with a plastic phone that's not water resistant, if for me the big thing is lack of wireless charging. If you can live without wireless charging and you're okay with a polycarbonate finish. This is it. I am really interested to see what they're going to do with the Pixel 4a 5G. The rumors are it's going to be a bigger size version of the 4a, cosmetically very similar with potentially an extra lens, likely the telephoto from the 4. Of course, bigger battery, Snapdragon 765G with 5G. Um, All that is great, but I would have actually liked to see something else, Anshul. I would have liked to see that phone for that price just be the same hardware guts as the 3A, maybe a little bigger, but with a glass and metal build and mm-hmm. an ultra wide and wireless charging and IP for 500, 550. That right now would be killer. That's sweet Because spot. 5G, I want 5G. And if you can throw the 765 in that phone, great. But if you could just remain where you are with the 4A and just make the build quality better and add wireless charging and IP rating and maybe an ultra wide, man, that would be, that would kill the North in my opinion. And I've reviewed the North on hot hardware. Read my review there. I love the North. Man, the North cuts some corners that I feel like OnePlus shouldn't be cutting. Like that mid-frame out of plastic that looks like metal. Like, you know, the very, very meh, ultra wide on that and the mm-hmm. useless macro right i was gonna say the macro really didn't get a lot of at least the nord didn't sacrifice ois on the main camera and by the way i didn't mention it but the 4a has obviously has ois on the main camera in the back which is one of the reasons you can take such great photos so look it's a slam dunk i love it i think this is solid this is good if you're looking to replace your older pixel no brainer if you can live with our wireless charging and you're coming from a flagship no brainer but if not, maybe wait for the five, but I'm worried they're going to pull a Google in quote. I'm doing air quotes on the Skype call here for Anshel. The the in quote 
flagship because they're not flagships. And and at least they've admitted a 765G, at least we think it's a 75G on the 5. But how are they going to differentiate, in your opinion, the 4A 5G versus the 5, other than build quality materials while it's charging and all that? Do they need to add a third lens this year? I think they do. I mean, I think they've needed to add a third lens last year. But well, yeah, well, yeah, um, but they didn't. So we're here. <laughs> we're here now. I think a third lens on the 5 would be welcome. Um, I think they need to just have features people want um, rather than giving pe- features people don't need. Um, right, like solely. <laughs> mm-hmm. I I really truly um, never used that on that phone ever, um, and it was not actually even it didn't even work great. Um, so no. uh, the way I look at it is they need to needed to reprioritize what they wanted to have in the device and how they were going to pay for it in terms of bomb um, and battery cost and ease of use. Because I think if you take out solely and a bunch of other things that were in that phone, um, you probably could have spent them somewhere else, both in terms of personnel and in terms of actual build materials um, yeah. and R&D. Um, and I think that, you know, the Pixel team losing their camera lead um, is indicative of um, some bigger problems because I think everyone agrees that the software pipeline that Google is using for their cameras is unmatched. Um, yeah. But I'm not sure that's going to be the case going forward. Obviously, one person does not build an entire camera pipeline. But, you know, when that person leads a team, you know, they they help drive them in the right direction. Um, and I'm not sure they're going to be able to continue to do that in the future without him. But um, in general, I think that it they, they have to have some kind of feature that differentiates the 5 from the 4A 5G because they're both going to have 5G, obviously. And they're both going to be probably around the same size in terms of screen. Correct. So it's going to have to, there's going to, you know, they're obviously going to do waterproofing IP protection as a differentiator, but I don't think that's a big differentiator anymore. No, it's actually kind of annoying that they don't have it at a lower price point, in my opinion. Same with wireless charging. I think mm-hmm. I hate the fact that companies and OnePlus is the biggest culprit here only having put wireless charging on the 8 Pro is that they put it only on premium phones it's like no like I like how LG and Nokia put it pretty much on everything or at least Nokia used to and and you know it's like we expect that Apple has it on the SE at $400 like come on I mean they have water resistance and metal and glass construction I know they're recycling a lot of stuff from the 8 and it's you know again economies of scales are at work here but come on no the way I look at it is I have ditched wired charging completely and when I have to plug something in it's annoying now because my car has wireless charging I have yeah. a wireless charging pad on both sides of my bed, on my desk, in my living room, in my kitchen. I don't use wired plugs except for for all my other OnePlus phones and the occasional, you know, non-wireless charging phone that I, you know, buy because I'm weird. <laughs> yeah, or the Chinese phones that all have custom chargers mm-hmm. uh, that are like 65 watts, super fast and whatever, and then you actually want to use them because you can charge your entire battery in 15 minutes. And it's right. actually cooler than using wireless charging. Yeah, but look, so I want to wrap up the Fixel because we have a lot to talk about on on Samsung, and, and we're not going to spend as much time on Samsung because, frankly, uh, 
there's a lot to talk about there, but it's just not that exciting in my book. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. I feel that the news of the week for me is really the Pixel. And, you know, that's a tough thing to say when we've got the Z Fold 2 to talk about. Uh, I'm very excited about the Z Fold 2. I just want to be very clear that I'm not making, you know, I'm not saying I'm not. It's just that it's... um. Samsung is being Samsung and kind of egregiously so. And uh, let's go quickly over what they announced. They announced mm -hmm. the, the Z Fold 2. We just talked about that. I think this is the Halo product that the industry needs. Absolutely. I think this really sh shows Samsung flexing its muscle as a manufacturer and a technology leader. And this is a good Samsung. This is a Samsung I want to see. Now, it's a Halo thing. $2,000 is a too much money, a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But five, 10 years down the road, when half of the phones out there are, are folding, we'll just look back and say, yeah, that was the tipping point. That was the phone that showed us what we could do. Because now the fold from last year feels like a prototype, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm looking at mine right now, and it, it feels a little chonky. But especially with like the, the bezel cutout on the screen... And how like you lose like a solid like ten percent of your screen because of the camera array on the inside. It's just nasty. Or so how tiny the front screen is. The Z Fold Two just fixes all that, and it it to me it's like you know a Pagani or a Bugatti or a, or like a McLaren. It's like the phone you aspire to have one day when mm -hmm. you're rich, and it really shows. It's a technology showcase, but not done in this very prototypey way like last year. So. I want to, I'm very happy and I support what they're doing here. I'm really looking forward to seeing how it ends up being compared to the Fold in everyday use. The big front screen is all welcome. It, it looks aesthetically more pleasing, you know, less frumpy and all that. It's good. Then there's the Note 20 and I want to kind of hold that for last because there's a lot to say there. I have a lot of ranting to do. Mm -hmm. Then there's the um, Watch 3. I wear a Watch 1 right now and I have to say that Short of using an Apple Watch, Samsung, I feel, makes the best watches out there. Um, if you're a general-use smartwatch that has all the features, you know, there are special case uses like Garmin that are different. There's also um, fitness bands that are really great. But if you want, like, a traditional kind of smartwatch, um, really, Wear OS devices don't, don't, don't do it for me anymore. Sure. And, and Apple is not compatible with my main ecosystem. Um, so I, you know, this... This is two years old on my wrist now, and it has still no scratches or damage from me abusing it every day. Still water resistant, uh, still runs like a champ. The battery is still working, even though I charge it every day. And seriously, I don't have any complaints. So the the, the Watch Three can only be a good thing. Um, then we have the 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 bean shaped mm -hmm. Galaxy Buds Live. Which is interesting because they did they pulled like a Huawei FreeBuds three um, that don't have a, a seal. They're, they're not they don't have silicone tips, just like these um, buds live, and they're still ANC. So it's interesting when a company does ANC without sealing the ear canal mm -hmm. because that's very challenging. I think Huawei did a pretty good job, but I feel like Samsung. I'm really curious to see how they pull this off. What's your thought on that, real quick? I, I think. Um they've got enough isolation with the design that I don't think they need to necessarily completely seal the ear canal. And I find that a lot of earbuds in general don't do a very good job of holding the seal anyways. Um, so I think the seal is more of a optimal scenario than it really is a, 
a, a scenario where you're going to have that experience all the time. Um, I have a very hard time with Apple AirPods Pro, um, both with the seal and staying in my ears. Mm -hmm. um, so I actually tend to use the uh, Galaxy uh, Buds Plus right now. Those are my right. primary earbuds. Um, but, you know, even those don't really stay sealed all the time. So I, I think trying to maintain a seal um, is challenging. And if you actually just kind of toss it to the wind and and acknowledge that you can't have a seal and do something else with it, um, you might actually have a better chance of a more consistent experience and having more success if you can nail it. I think it really depends on people's preferences and ears. Some people with, you obviously have very large ear canals because even the large tips don't seal properly for you. I have no issues with seals on medium to large tips on most silicone earbuds, but I do prefer either full-on in-ear monitor, which are really like earplugs in your right. ears, like professional I grade, like custom custom ear molds, wired, um, uh, no compromise audio, or I prefer the design that the, these Samsung Buds Live are using, which is also the AirPods original design and also the OnePlus Buds design, um, which is the uh, just sits in your ear and doesn't form a seal, doesn't try to form a seal, and it just does its thing. The, those free Buds 3 from Huawei I'm talking about are doing exactly that. They look like AirPods, but they have active noise canceling. Somehow they manage to cancel noise despite not forming a seal in your ear. So it's possible. Don't be freaked out by this. It's It can be done, folks. Uh, so it'd be interesting. I'm looking forward to getting a review unit of the uh, Buds live to try them out and see what happens. So we've talked quickly about things we can go back to if we need to. But I want to really talk about the Mate 20, which is kind of more the more potentially accessible phone to my audience. We all know the Z Fold 2 is going to be amazing. Very few of us are going to be able to afford it. It's going to be back-ordered and hard to get and Halo product, and I love it in every way. Kudos to Samsung for making it. Uh, the Z Flip and the Z Flip Now 5G are good examples of that if you want to spend a little less money. Right. Uh, wow, they blew me away with that, with that phone. I think... I think the Z Flip was a good phone, but I think the Z Flip 5G is a great phone because I think yeah. they compromised too much in the first version. Correct. And the second version yeah. is like perfect. It has 5G. Yeah. It has the right processor. There's still some things they could do with the camera and battery life. Yeah, they could have done the triple camera. Would have been nice on that, but whatever. Yeah, it's nitpicking, yeah. and I think, um, I think realistically. Uh, They've really done a good job of nailing their second version of these foldables. For sure. So, Note 20, what's your take? Because this is weird this year, right? Like, I want to point out a preface real quick. Notes has always been a single unit, except for the Note 4, which came as a Note 4 Edge with a one-side uh, waterfall display. Uh, the prototype to all the curved displays Samsung did after that. And as you know, Samsung has had a tendency to go back to doing flatter displays with the S20 series this year. Uh, and I welcome that because the extreme waterfalls is not my thing. It, you know, uh, some people like it, some people don't, I don't. Um, but more importantly, last year, the Note 10 was the first real mainstream attainable note mm -hmm. that was a dual size device you could get a note 10 or a 10 plus the 10 yep. was a smaller version spec wise almost identical i loved it and it was great for that however this year we have two notes again and we would have thought that samsung 
especially in this crazy time of Snapdragon 865, in this case, 865 plus on these two phones, the, the pricing we knew would be high. You'd think that in that time, they would do exactly what they did last year. Yep. Give us something that doesn't compete directly with the S20 in the sense that it has some of its specs, um, but not the crazy ultra specs, and then bring two sizes out. But that's not what they did. They, they're kind of stepping on their own toes and, and adding a stylus and I have a lot to say about the regular Note 20 right now. So <laughs> let's let's get your take on this quick. Okay. So my take is that I think because they came out with so many versions of the S20, especially with the Ultra, um, they basically rendered the regular Note 20 irrelevant. Because if you look at them side by side, I don't know why you would get a Note 20 if you could afford an Ultra. Correct. That is a good perspective. Um, uh, I, I just, like, I was looking at the specs side by side, and it's like, I just don't see it. Um, and it doesn't help that the, you know, Note 20 Ultra is kind of down-specced to not compete with the Note 20 Ultra. So it's just, it's in a very weird position at a very weird price um, with a weird build design, and I know you're not a fan of it. Um, so I, I just... I don't really understand what they were trying to do with the Note 20. I think they felt trapped by it. I don't think they should have even made a Note 20. I think they should have just made a Note 20 Ultra or just called the Note 20 Ultra the Note 20 and been done with it. Correct. I actually think that I have no beefs with the Note 20 Ultra. It's a little pricey. I think they could have done without a periscope lens on that telephoto and been just fine with this nice three times optical. Um, they, it's not quite the um, folded lens that we have on the S20 Ultra. It's not quite the same level of magnification. It's also a 12 megapixel sensor instead of 48. But the reality is it's basically, think of the Galaxy Note 20 Ultra as a Galaxy S20 Ultra with an S Pen, a slightly smaller battery, and a slightly lesser telephoto. And there's no complaints to be had here. It has those uh, nice squarish design we mm -hmm. like. It has the slightly curved screen that gives it super slim bezels on the left and right. It looks sharp. There's no compromises made. It's got everything but the kitchen sink in it. And no headphone jack, of course. And it's gorgeous. It's, yeah, it's gorgeous. It's no longer part of the. It's no longer part of the kitchen sink, by the way. The headphone jack apparently. So the, it has everything <laughs> but the kitchen sink, and it has you know, a Snapdragon 865 Plus. Both of them do. Mm -hmm. But then you look at the Note 20 and you go, okay, so cameras are from the S20 or S20 Plus-ish, right, roughly? Mm -hmm. That's fine. That's okay. Um, you know, and the specs on paper, RAM and all that processor are fine. Display. But then you look at the size of it and you're like, it's not any different in size almost. It's not as square and it has a flat screen and some people prefer the flat screen. And at that point, you're like, okay, fine, that's weird. But then it gets even more weird when you look at the details. Mm -hmm. And this is where I want to rant a bit because this is pissing me off. I feel like Samsung is trolling us. Like, they made a plastic back on that phone. They actually removed mm -hmm. the glass and put a plastic glass-looking back. 
And I was hinting about that when we talked earlier about the Pixel 4a and the Nord. The Nord right. does the same. And, but the Nord is a $400 phone. Like, I understand they're trying to save money mm-hmm. and they decide to go with a plastic mid-frame that looks like metal. I wish when companies use plastic, they would do it like Google and Nokia and not apologize and actually use it for what it is. Not try to make it look like metal like or glass. And in this case, on a $1,000 phone, it's a $1,000 phone, the Note 20. Why are are they going for glass? I have a theory and I want to share it with you. And as an analyst, I want to hear what you have to say. But here's the other thing that's pissing me off. And I think Samsung is trolling us with. They put a 1080p 60 hertz display in that Note 20. Mm-hmm. I want to remind everyone that right now, the Galaxy S20 series is highly discounted if you buy it from the right operators in the right way and whatever else. And you can get a 120 hertz quad HD display on the S20 the base model. So what were they thinking, Anshel? I honestly don't know. Um, If you read my coverage, I pretty much almost ignore the Note 20's existence Um, (laughs) because the Ultra is the only one that matters. You're like sticking your head in the sand about it. (laughs) Well, because like the truth is there's nothing good to say about it. And it's like I could knock on it all day, but people want to know which one's worth buying. Yeah, no, ultimately, yes, but they can't afford it. Like $1,400 for the Note 20 Ultra? 1300 Okay, well, still a lot of money, right? But it doesn't have 512. That's the 128 bottle. And Exactly. And the thing is, the thing that bothers me is that I feel like because they didn't make the Note 20 sm- noticeably smaller than the Note 20 Ultra, but they still took away the memory card slot, Oh, yeah, there's that. I'm kind of bothered by that. It may be because they have a millimeter wave module there and they can't fit it anywhere because they have modules in the place of where the memory card slot would be. But they fit it in the Note 20 Ultra, so... Yeah, there's just... I I don't see there being an excuse. Um, And I think that's one of my gripes is the lack of a memory card slot. Because, like, at least with the Note 10, like, it's like, okay, we actually made this way smaller. There just isn't any real estate for it. And I was like, okay, I get it. Do you remember off the top of your head whether there's a difference in battery size between those two? The I know that the 20 Ultra is a 4,500 milliamp hour, which is a little smaller than the S20 Ultra, but I don't know the Note 20. I'd have to look it up. But yeah, I don't know. If there is a potentially a similar size or bigger battery, then I might be able to excuse it. Here's my theory, Anshel. I want to hear what you think about this because this is this is my theory. I'm joking around when I say Samsung's trolling us, but in a way they are. I think they're pulling an apple and going like, "We can do whatever the hell we want because we're we're Samsung," you know. And I'm just really worried that things like this lack of memory card that they've done in the past and and went back on right the S6 series of Samsung phones didn't have a memory card slot and they went back to it with the S7. I'm worried that we're gonna see an S30 next year with a plastic back and they're going to be able to justify and saying, well, we did it on the, we did it on the Note 20. It wasn't a big deal. It's a slippery slope. Like you pay a thousand dollars for a phone. You want the best materials. I don't think plastic's a good material at that price point. I know glass breaks and a lot of people don't like glass. Get a case. Okay. Like, you pay that much money for a phone. You want things like leather and maybe wood and, and glass and, and metal, you want noble materials. Yeah, you want quality materials. Plastic can be done really well, aka look at Nokia. But I don't want that at $1,000. So anyway, my theory is this. My theory is that this is a purely a cost-cutting profit margin thing 
that is a carrier driven thing. Like they know this phone is going to be sold by people who want, like people are not going to buy a Note 20 Ultra when they can buy a Note 20 and they don't care about any spec or anything like that. They just, uh, they just care about the S Pen. They want a fancy, expensive phone and they go into the Verizon store and they just go, ah, oh, Note 20 is just fine. So that's my theory. Here's the thing. Um, I have a unique experience with the Note because my mom is the perfect Note user. Um, is she? she is exactly what they want and need and wish. And it's the real estate agent's phone. <laughs> it's literally the perfect phone for her. She worships her Note 9. And I kid you not, in the end of my article on Forbes, I literally say my mom, when she hears about this phone, is going to immediately get one. And guess what? She post saw my article I posted on Facebook and called me to ask me before reading the article if she should buy one. Because that's how much of a note user my mom is. And she doesn't care what the phone costs because she's a real estate agent. And everything she And spends, she won't care about the plastic rear. And she won't care about the fact that it has a 60 hertz display. She does, though. She does care. Oh, she does. Because she's, she's the kind of person who wants the biggest screen. So she's going to automatically go for the Ultra. Plus, she's my mother. So she's going to listen to me and actually get the Ultra. And she's going to want the more expensive model because it has the bigger screen and for her that's actually what makes the note compelling i mean it's marginally bigger yes you're right and i think by making the note 20 almost as big as the note 20 ultra screen i think there is some validity what you're saying in that they might the carriers might be able to get convince people to buy the lesser model because it's the yeah. less expensive version but of it. But I think it's because it's also more of a profit maker for them. You right. see, that's the thing. I think that by cutting the display performance and the SD card, well, display specs, per SD card and glass in the back, they're saving enough money per note that this could be easily sold as a $750, $800 phone in the normal universe, but they can still justify $1,000 for it and the carriers are struggling right now at selling $1,000 phones because of the economy, one, because Snapdragon 865 is expensive, too. And so they're like said to Samsung, hey, make your Note Ultra the best thing you can. We don't care. No, no compromise. But can you make the other one a little more profit margin-y for us and for yourself so that we can well, all benefit in this difficult economy? It's so short-sighted because people are still not going to want to spend $1,000 on a phone if right. they, because they can't afford it because they're losing their jobs and their housing. Like, right. hello. I, I, think, I think the one thing to consider is also that if you look at the way um, they have established this phone, it is a business-focused device. And the people who are going to buy a Note already probably have one and are upgrading from a previous model, I don't see them necessarily um, targeting an, you know, Apple users at all, or even very no. many other Android users. Um, so they have a pretty loyal base of users already. Which is exactly why this cutting of corners is so weird to me. You do this on the S series, yeah. maybe. Like an S10e last year. You didn't make any excuses. You're like, we're making a cheaper Galaxy S for everyone. And that was welcome. The other problem is that Samsung has a tendency of running some pretty aggressive promotions. Um, right. So whatever retail price Samsung sells for, 
you almost never actually pay that price either at the beginning when there's all these promotions for upgrades and and bundles and and discounts and all these other things or freebies right um or when this when they have their when they actually are running their promotions um they're, they're just not selling their phones very often at full retail price Right. Well, that's my point. I think I think that like it seems to me like this is driven by some kind of weird short-sighted corner cutting, profit margin making, cost, you know, issue that is possibly driven by the carriers and I just oh man, it it bugs me so hard. Like again, you said you're right. I should just ignore them no 20 and say forget it. Don't buy it, you know. I mean, especially right now, it's a hard sell. It's even a, unless you're a Note user, which is a their you know loyal kind of base, which is gonna buy these phones. You know, unless you're a Note user right now, you're better off buying S20 Ultra if you're looking at that Note Ultra, you know, Note 20 Ultra because you you can get a good deal right now. Like you can get to a hundred or two hundred dollars off, and it's a is it better? Is it different? I don't know. It's pretty much the same phone, right? Well, I think they did they did improve the focusing issues that the Note Well, 20 yeah, cuz there's laser autofocus. Yeah. I think that's cuz for me I really like the Note 20. I mean the uh, S20 Ultra, but the f- camera was just I couldn't do it. Yeah, it's problematic for sure. So that's it, folks. That's we are just unpacked unpacked for you. <laughs> unpacked unpacked. <laughs> uh, but I mean, look, the, the the reality is this there's so much hype and like I cannot believe that you know again like I'm glad this podcast is giving the Pixel 4a more time because I just feel like this it's not that there's nothing there's anything wrong. I think the Note 20 Ultra is the phone to get if that's what you want. If you're a Note user, absolutely no no doubt there's no compromises here. Um and and the the Z Fold 2 is just an incredible phone. You mean the Z Fold 2 5G? <laughs> oh sorry. Yes. It's going to be an incredible phone and there's absolutely no doubt about that. I, the watch is going to be great. You know, I mean there's so much good out of there but it's such it's such I don't know. I just it's a whole different thing when you can go to an event and be there. Like this virtual thing just kind of sucked on top of that. Oh no, don't get me started about I, this. I just feel like the Zoom clapping. You, you didn't like that oh whole God. wall of people on Zoom clapping behind? I don't know. It was, I didn't even watch it, to be honest. I don't know what you're talking about. I just ignored it. I watched it, the whole thing. I just knew it was going to be a mess. So I was like, no way. Yeah. So anyway, um, let's talk about this potential ARM acquisition from NVIDIA. You probably have a lot more to say about this. I mean, I am like kind of freaking out about that. I have too much to say about it. Well, let's can can you give us because this is not my area of specialty. Sure. You're an analyst. You focus on this a lot. You're very close to Nvidia. What is what's at stake here? What is the lowdown? What is your in like the short cliff notes version of what you think is going sure. on here? I mean, I'm a little worried about ARM getting acquired because they run the universe right now. Right. So I actually am still working on a piece that I plan on writing about this. Should have come out this week, but I've just been very busy this week with all the launches. Um, and all the other stuff I've been doing. So it's it's a top priority. But the real issue is that um, by SoftBank is desperate. Um, SoftBank has made a lot of losses um, and they are trying to recoup some of their investments and, you know, cash out some of their um, investments. And mm-hmm. ARM is one of them where they didn't really lose value in the investment because it's actually a solid company that's doing well. Um, 
And as a result, they, they you know, basically said, we're going to offload it. And um, once you've opened Pandora's box, um, you can't close it back anymore. And that is the yeah. fundamental issue with ARM, because the people can afford to purchase ARM are not the people that should have ARM. Um, ARM should not be owned by any of the uh, SOC vendors or OEMs or any any individual. And that's exactly how I feel. Like I'm so this was worries me so much about that. As much I think is I feel like Nvidia would be a good fit, but at the same time it's like no no no. ARM has to stay independent. Yeah. So the funny thing is Nvidia is is a good fit in one way and it's not a good fit in another. It's a good fit in the sense that Nvidia pretty much uses ARM in almost every component of their product stack, top to bottom, in automotive, in mobile, in embedded, in even in supercomputing, they they have ARM cores all over the place. And, you know, they're, they're not going to stop using ARM, especially with ARM gaining more momentum in servers. But the thing is, is that NVIDIA is not a licensing company. NVIDIA does not play well with others when it comes to, you know, licensing their technology. Most of their licenses have been the results of lawsuits. So they're not really <laughs> a, a player of the type that really wants to enable the ecosystem. They want to sell the ecosystem. They want to be the hardware vendor for the ecosystem. And that's just not how ARM operates. And ARM is a much more collaborative um, in, in engagement with OEMs and with chip vendors and enabling chip vendors to be successful in their OEMs. And NVIDIA, while is much more of an enabling um, factor, what happened is, you know, it's still tied to the NVIDIA ecosystem and everything is CUDA and everything is GeForce and everything is RTX. And that's just not how ARM operates. Um, and that's why I think it's a problematic acquisition um, because NVIDIA you know, has a very specific culture and ARM has a very specific culture and they're not close. Um, and I think that if you look at the way ARM would, or way NVIDIA would acquire ARM, um, the, the, the best way they could do it is by allowing it to operate as an, you know, a separate entity and to pull, yeah. pull from it um, what they can. But then that doesn't really maximize benefit for NVIDIA. Um, it just secures NVIDIA's future. Um, which may have been the reason why they're doing this, because you know there were other vendors who may have been involved, like a Qualcomm, and they may have mm -hmm. not wanted Qualcomm to have it. Um, so, and even Qualcomm having it would have very similar problems. At least Qualcomm has much more experience with licensing um, and and getting licensing revenues to be profitable. Um, so, yeah, there, there's the reality is I would like to see more of like a independent third party, like a Cadence. That would acquire yeah. ARM, but they can't afford it because their market cap is thirty billion. Oh god, it's so high. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so like the ARM acquisition price is the same price as Cadence is worth, so it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, um, right. And the, the 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 other alternative is maybe a consortia or consortium of all of the big cloud vendors pooling together to buy ARM as an independent third party. Um, yeah. And, you know, if they could agree to terms, it would be a miracle, but it would also save ARM because the reality is, yeah. is that once ARM gets integrated into, into NVIDIA the way I think NVIDIA would want them to be integrated, it effectively kills the value of the ARM architecture. And because then, you know, it no longer is independent. And now NVIDIA has the upper hand on everybody. 
and none of NVIDIA's yeah, yeah. competitors want to see yeah, that. And no, I think the biggest one... There's no doubt. And the biggest um, wrench in, the, in this gear is actually that Apple has remained quiet because Apple is an ARM licensee for the architecture. So they yeah. also want ARM to be independent and they also want ARM to be successful. And they don't want to see NVIDIA get it because there's still quite a bit of bad blood between NVIDIA and Apple. And I think that if this does actually get... Um, announced that it will be a very long time until it closes because Apple and every other vendor in the universe is going to throw fight. every single legal yeah. dollar they can to make yeah. sure it doesn't happen. Yeah, I think you totally summed it up. Um, we have to move on to the next of the news, but yeah, thanks for thanks for laying it out for us because you know I I was just nodding while you were doing it because I'm <laughs> like yeah, I I knew that my gut feeling was kind of right, but I haven't really had a thing, chance to formulate a thought around it, and I knew you had because it's your job. Like this is <laughs> hardcore, your core competency right there. Absolutely. That's why I threw it in here. Three more things. One that I kind of want to prioritize a little bit because I think it's cool. Sony just launched its next generation um, wireless noise canceling headphones. We're talking about the big cans, the big competitor with the Boses and the ones that have been slaying and killing it both in noise reduction and in sound quality. The WH-1000X Mark IV are now out, replacing the Mark III's. Well, I'm going to just call it the M4 versus the M3's. I have the M3's, and they are, they are incredible. I've had them for two years. I use them every time I travel. I use them around the house when I want some peace and quiet to work. Um, they are, in this time of pandemic, surprisingly helpful for those of you who are working at home and you can be comfortable wearing a big pair of headphones. Uh, but if you're ever flying again, traveling, maybe there will be airplanes in the future. I don't know. I remember there was a time when there was these metal and carbon fiber things that flew high up in the sky and I was inside of them and it was wonderful. But anyway, the M4s are out. They came out today. The reviews are out. I'm getting a review unit soon. Uh, somehow Sony forgot about me, but they are totally catching up and helping me out. So we'll get them. The big difference is really not big. Like the M3s are so good that they are the industry standard in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And the only thing they were lacking and they got remedied with the M4, like Sony actually listened and fixed the only two things we had a problem with, all of us mm -hmm. in our reviews of the M3. Better mic quality and sound quality for calls, right. which was a problem. Agreed. And second, uh, the ability to pair or to easily switch between two devices. Uh, multiple would be nice, but two is a good start. And that's what they added and fixed. So if you have M3s, I'm not sure it's worth upgrading unless you do a lot of voice calls and unless you uh, really want to switch between devices. But if you have the M2s or the M1s, I mean, seriously, like by now, this is it. This is your calling. This is your your little calling, you should uh, should really consider them. I mean, I'm stoked about it. What's funny is I have a pair of XM3s. I, I call the XM3s and now the XM4s. They're the best headphones nobody knows how to pronounce. Um, <laughs> so everyone just calls them the Sonys or the yeah. XM3s is usually what I call them. Um, yeah. And the reality is the new ones are the perfect amount of incremental improvement that one would ask from a product that's nearly perfect. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of some products are just kind of like references and just nail it. And the M3s were that, and the M4s are just refining that in a very incremental way. But at this point, when you do so well, you just listen to your customers and you do it right. It's like Apple does that really well. So yeah, there you go. I, I listened, I read the, uh, the Verge review of them 
Um, so I'm excited to get a pair as well from Sony. But the interesting thing is they said, you know, it exists in a much more competitive landscape today than the threes did. Um, you know, the Bose headphones are quite good, um, but they're not as good as the XM4s. You know, for me as an audio file, kind of reluctantly call myself that because I'm not really, I'm more like a cheap audio file. I'm like spending a lot of money on my audio, but I'm really picky about my audio. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you like the Bose don't even come remotely in the same league in terms of sound quality. It's not even, a, it's not even there. Like, Oh no, the sound quality is not there. Noise reduction, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm not saying usability is poor on the Bose. I think the Bose have been doing this for a really long time. They're the reference in the airplane industry. Pilots all use Bose, noise canceling headphones. Mm -hmm. Like there's no doubt out but the reality is sony gives you close to if not as good noise canceling and on top of that the audio is just on a whole different planet yeah right so the thing that blew me the thing that convinced me was i actually had a pair of qc35s and i literally within a week um of owning those ended up trying out a pair of xm3s and i ended up just buying uh -huh. buying the xm3s and relegating my QC35s to VR duty because I just couldn't go back to the QC35s. So I, I completely agree with you on the audio quality side. Um, and I, I just felt like Bose was repeating the same formula over and over, and they finally broke that formula with the new, the new headset. Um, and I think that they're much more competitive now. Um, yeah. But yeah, I still think the XM4s are way and above and you know they have 360 audio 360 spatial audio um which is actually the reason why i signed up for deezer so i can listen to that <laughs> right exactly and yeah it's just it's just uh you know i actually haven't used my xm3s as much as i would like to because i haven't been traveling much but i recently yeah, i recently recharged them and updated them and i think one thing that sony should definitely work on and i'm not sure if the xm4s have this is they need to have a warning on your headset and when you update them, if they're not at a certain battery level, you shouldn't be able to update them because mine almost died. Oh, that's really bad. Wow. At the end of that update cycle. So I was terrified what would have happened if they died. So that's something that they need to address for sure. Yeah, maybe, you know, maybe they didn't address it because nothing bad is going to happen. Like it just fails and then it, like it's got, it does a, a swap between two partitions inside the, uh, the, the firmware, I right? I would hope so. And that, <laughs> that's possibly what it is. Um, there's a couple of more news items that are really brief. I just want to touch on for most, mostly for the audience to kind of go check out the links that I'm going to put in the show notes. Uh, there's been some Mate 40 Pro leaks and that thing looks bonkers. Mm -hmm. It's got the biggest camera pod we've ever seen on a phone. The thing is brown. It kind of reminds me of the Lumia 1020, but on steroids Absolutely. with four lenses instead of one. Uh, check it out. There's a link from Pocket Now there. I don't even know what else to tell you that, of course, it's going to be a bonkers phone because the Mate series always is. Of course, it doesn't have GMS because we live in this crazy world where our president is a jerk. <laughs> That's basically the summary. I don't want to get into that, but everybody knows how I feel about this. Right. And then um, I want the other thing to check out is uh, the Razer 5G or maybe Razer version 2 is from Moto is leaking. We're seeing some, uh, some photos out there of this revised Razer with a 5G. It doesn't have a fingerprint sensor in the chin anymore. Mm -hmm. That's the big thing that stands out. I'm not sure if they're putting it on the back or on the side. It looks a lot better without it, though. Yeah, maybe in the display somehow or under the display. It'd be interesting. The bottom line is this is some eye candy for you. These are 
you know, we know these things are coming, but I thought like you should know that it's kind of heating up because <laughs> we're probably getting closer and closer to like October, September is usually when the Mate comes out and the Razer, it would make sense that uh, after the debacle that was version one, they would, uh, you know, kind of hope to come out with a successor that hopefully doesn't fall on its face as badly <laughs> uh, as soon as possible, right? Yeah. I, I'm actually very excited for the Mate 40, especially because it exudes a lot of those Lumia 1020 vibes. And the Lumia yeah. 1020, for me, was something that I felt like was something beautiful that was cut short. And I feel like, I'm, I mean, I know for a fact that Huawei has actually ingested some of that Nokia Lumia camera team. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So there is definitely a spirit there that I can feel. And I, and like, when you take photos with, you know, a, a Huawei flagship phone, um, it's very hard to compare to any other phone. Oh, my God. So if you're a photographer like I I am and I know you are, um, it's just so satisfying to use a phone that just takes unbelievably good photos. Yeah, I mean, I think that I uh, finally got to play, and I, th I, this is for you, Angel, more than the audience, because <laughs> the audience, if they've been listening, know this, because I've been talking about it over the last few podcasts. I finally got my hands on a P40 Pro Plus mm -hmm. recently, and wow, like, it's, it's hard to explain, but like, you know, there's other, than, there's other companies out there than Pixel, than Google making good cameras on phones. And I mean, not that Huawei was not, a contender all this time right. but the p40 pro plus shows a crank to 11 level of expertise in both hardware and software that i actually didn't think that huawei could pull off in the sense that google owns the software when it comes to imaging they are the masters at that i still think they do a better job than huawei overall but huawei owns the hardware like they make the best lens sensor combos and then they have pretty damn great software thanks to the leica partnership mm -hmm. and this you know, his, history of doing color science properly and all this other stuff. But the P40 Pro Plus, man, like they just, just, they went all out. Like they said, oh, there's no budget here. Let's go nuts. And it pays. It is an improvement over the P40 Pro. I didn't think it was going to be that much of an improvement. I just thought we we're going to get an extra lens that's right. a 10 time optical. And it is a 10 time optical and it is an extra lens, but it just brings so much more to the table. I feel the software is more refined on all the lenses, on all the sensors mm -hmm. than my P40 Pro somehow. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, I haven't seen that phone, unfortunately, for obvious reasons. I uh, usually would have already been to China three times this year. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I think that Huawei, without a doubt, puts an inordinate amount of resources into their camera pipeline and both hardware and software. And they're, they've built themselves a lead that I think is going to be very hard to close for any other vendor. But that said, I also think that there's a lot of places where Huawei could improve that are not the camera. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So um, much. That I think they need lots of improvement on. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like um, part of the reason why they haven't improved as well in those other areas is because they've leaned so heavily into the camera. Exactly. And and I you know to be clear, I was just going, I was raving about the camera specifically. I mean, there's a whole other issue of using this as a phone, as you know, without GMS and all that. Mm -hmm. But but it's a solid experience nonetheless. Um, I just wish that, you know, it basically shows in a way what Google could do if it had better hardware and more 
traditional photography expertise in-house in addition to all the fantastic computational photography expertise they have. Right. Because sometimes Google's computational photography expertise kind of goes against in a bad way. Not Sometimes you need to go against in a good way. But in this case, sometimes goes against in a bad way, traditional photography staples you know, that we expect. So uh, anyway, I could go on. Uh, we should probably wrap up the show. But... Um, yeah, it's been a busy week. There's a lot there. So I hope uh, this uh, this covered everything for everyone. And, uh, Anshel, do you want to tell people where on the internet they can find you, social media handles, all that good stuff? Absolutely. So uh, I'm mostly on Twitter, which is at Anshel Sog. Um, I also have my own website, which is kind of like an aggregation of my my stuff that I do. It's just AnshelSog.com. And then I also have a 5G podcast. Um, that I record with my colleague Will Townsend for more insights strategy. Uh, that one's called the G2 on 5G. Um, and we record once a week and we just kind of do 15 minutes on the latest 5G news and we kind of, you know, give our perspectives as 5G analysts. And uh, other than that, you know, I'm on social media, Instagram, Facebook, etc. But um, if you want to see some of the pictures I take with phones, uh, definitely Instagram. Um, and yeah, uh, I'm everywhere else at Anshul Sog and I'm not hard to find. <laughs> and you should definitely follow Anshul because there's lots of good takes on the state of mobile. I will definitely post a link to your Forbes story on the note 20. And so you know where to find me on the internet, folks. I'm at Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L. Like the comic book character Tankerl, but without the vowels. That's where I am on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, Twitter is a good place to talk about the podcast with me. If you want to just like comment or correct or interact and ask questions, please do it on Twitter. Instagram is a good place to see pictures taken with phones and pictures of the phones I'm testing. I just dumped like, I think like 25 sets of photos on Instagram this weekend of all the phones that I took photos with in the last six months that I forgot to post photos of. So check it out. There's some P40 Pro Plus content in there and other stuff. Pretty much every phone that's crossed my desk has a photo in there that I've taken with it. And um, as you know, there's a YouTube channel that goes with the podcast. It's called youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast. So check that out. If you want some visual content to go with this audio podcast, you want some, uh, you know, nice uh, unboxings and hands-ons, that kind of stuff, check out the YouTube channel. Please like, subscribe, tell your friends, all that uh, click notification bell, comment in the comments and YouTube, all that good stuff. It's a nice little standalone thing, but it goes well with the podcast as well. So uh, consider that. If you're happening to listen to the podcast for the first time, or maybe you followed Anshal here, please consider subscribing. The URL is mobiletechpodcast.com. That's mobiletechpodcast.com. There is an RSS feed there if you're a baby boomer. And if you're an old school person, I'm joking. RSS <laughs> is awesome. But if you're a, a young one and you like the apps, you know, like the kids these days, then check out Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, Spotify, a bunch of other places. Obviously, I'm on all the apps and all the podcast platforms. So check that out. Please subscribe. If you have a chance to write a review or rate the podcast, do that. Not all platforms let you do it, but if you can, it really helps if you do, so consider that. And then finally, there's a donate link in the show notes. It's a PayPal link. 
please consider donating. This is the only way I can support this podcast long term. This is a labor of love, so consider that. Check the show notes for the link. And then finally, I want to thank Audible, our sponsor. They have been with us forever, since pretty much the beginning, and they're really awesome folks to work with. First of all, they're the best audiobook platform on the planet, no doubt about it. But second of all, you get a deal. So it's not like it's a two-way street. Like They support me, but then I support you by giving you a deal on Audible. And the deal is 30-day free trial with a book that you get to keep at the end. That's nothing to scoff at. But The cool thing about this is that it's easy as pie. If you're not already on Audible, just join. And with the link in the show notes, and I'll give you that link in a second, it's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. That's audibletrial.com slash mobile tech. And then you get the deal. And, uh, you know, it helps the show. So, like, everybody wins. Check it out. Why Audible? Well, listen, if you're like me and you love books, but sometimes you can't read a book because maybe you're tired or you're in the days when I used to fly, I like to listen to books more than read them. It's easier than reading in an airplane, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe you're a delivery driver. You're just driving your van all day and you need to listen to something else and podcast for a chance. Well, maybe listen to Audible. They've got tons of books, tons of great books read by the authors. That's my favorite thing. Not all of them are, but a lot of them are, and it's very cool. So thanks to Audible for being a longtime sponsor. Consider joining Audible and supporting the show. We'd really appreciate it. I'd really appreciate it. And I want to thank you, Anshel, for being on the show again. Much appreciated. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's always fun. All right, folks, stay tuned. We'll have another show next week as usual. And until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.